Hi, everyone. FYI, this episode of Silvacast is being recorded virtually. It is a pandemic, after all. So please excuse any funky audio issues. You know what I mean. Welcome to Silvacast, the podcast about all things silviculture. My name is Greg Edge. And I'm Brad Hutnick. And I'm Crystal Kern. Crystal, wow, this is a fantastic surprise. I I didn't even know you were going to be on today. Uh, Brad, um, I forgot to tell you about that. We are changing the lineup a little bit today. Crystal's in. Oh, that's cool. That's, uh, wait, wait, what, Greg, what does this mean? Brad, Brad, don't worry. Um, You know, you're not out exactly you're just consider yourself resting i thought we needed three hosts for today's show and and this is how it starts right first it's little things like you need a little rest or maybe you need some time away and next thing you know (laughs) it's like i'll be like listening to it going when did they record that nevertheless crystal you're the perfect host for today's episode so welcome to silvacast thanks brad it's my pleasure and we are all silviculturists with Wisconsin DNR, Division of Forestry, and the U.S. Forest Service Northern Research Station, and your host for today's show. Well, Greg, we better properly introduce our new host. Mm-hmm. So, Crystal Kern of the U.S. Forest Service Northern Research Station. Uh, Crystal, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work at, with the Forest Service. Well, I am a research forester or silviculturist for the Northern Research Station. I'm located in Rhinelander, Wisconsin, which is in northern Wisconsin, and I study the silviculture of northern forests. Um, A lot of my work is in northern hardwoods, which we'll be talking about today. I also am a lead scientist at Five Experimental Forests, where I lead and coordinate research with all different groups, and I'm also a leader for our, our research natural area program. And on today's episode of Silvacast, we have something a little different planned, Crystal. We're going to share with all of you a snapshot of the recent Northern Hardwood Conference 2021, which was a virtual conference that just took place on June 15th and 16th. And the reason Crystal is the perfect host for today's show is that she and I were both co-chairs at that conference. Yes, Greg and I had planned an in-person conference for June 2020, but with the pandemic, we had to make Plan B, which was virtual, and that occurred this last June, as Greg said. Given that, even though it was virtual, we still had over 90 presenters. We had a handful of group presentations, dozens of posters, and dozens of virtual field tours. It was quite amazing what we were able to pull together. I'm not going to share all the information about the conference, but we're hoping today that we could talk about the conference roundtable. Today's episode is brought to you by THC, the Timber Heterogeneity Company. Facing difficult decisions while marking timber, working with stands that are the silvicultural equivalent of a migraine, try high thinning, THC's newest technique that gets you into and out of the weeds. Sure, it may look like passive management to others, but you'll know you're on the way to a funky forest. Funky, huh, Brad? That's, it's going to be good, Greg. Well, I'm going to come in with maybe a a little more serious sponsor because today's episode of Silvacast is actually brought to you by SAF society of American foresters since 1900 SAF has been the cornerstone of the forestry and natural resource profession. 
Its members are practitioners, researchers, teachers, advisors, administrators, and students who believe in advocacy, respect, science, honest communication, and professionalism. Join today to branch out and connect this expansive network of professionals at eForester.org. Okay, let's get started, Crystal. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Northern Hardwood Conference Roundtable? Well, one of the biggest drawbacks of having to move the conference from in-person to virtual was that element of meeting in person and having conversations on the side. So it was our idea with these roundtables at the end of the day to bring everybody together and just share some ideas and exchange in a, in a larger, more informal format. And one of the things we did on day one was some fun polling to understand who was all there. In total for the conference, we had 403 people registered. And again, at the end of the day, we had at least 200, 250 people participate in the polling. And we learned that 72% of the people in the roundtable on day one were foresters and 11% were researchers. About 68% were from the Lake States, 22% from the Northeast, and 8% from Canada. And we even had 1% from elsewhere. And I know we asked some really highly important questions that I know our audience is really, really going to be interested in. I know they are. Question three, Uh, your favorite football team and no, we're not talking about soccer. So uh, A, Patriots, B, Alouettes, C, Lions, D, Argonauts, E, Packers, uh, F bills and G professional football is not my jam compared to most of the other ones. There is a right answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks it's like the Argonauts. Yeah. And so, yeah, well, yeah, maybe <laughs> we got 1% for the Argonauts. So 1%, far. Oh, actually 2% for the Argonauts, 1% for the Alouettes. Come on Argonauts. And it's a, it's a real shame to see the Patriots only getting 5%, but four <laughs> percent oh it's it's trending in the right direction so <laughs> i don't know how much we should summarize this verbally since we are recording it for a podcast yeah. <laughs> well at current time 38 percent of respondents uh have the packers <laughs> in the lead however 38 percent also say this is not my jam for p- football is not my jam so oh, it's kind of a dir- diverse crowd which I'm okay with that. That's cool, too. Ready for the next question? Yeah, I think that one's Bradley's. Yep, here we go. So what's your favorite northern hardwood tree? A, sugar maple, B, yellow birch, C, beech, D, basswood, E, ironwood, or F, suga canadensis, hemlock. Ooh, yellow birch jumped out to an early lead. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hemlock's coming behind. Oh, and it's, there it's yeah. sugar maple's catching up. Yeah, early growth, but then it fell back. I don't know what's going on. Some kind of decline. <laughs> and then, uh, oh, yeah. I don't know what the deal with basswood is, though. It's only tied with ironwood. You know, and we give ironwood no, a losing. hard time, way too hard a time. You know, it's not ironwood's fault that it's in the stand. I know, but I love basswood. Yeah. Well, you and 4% of our respondents, so <laughs> you're, in a, you're in a minority, Greg. Oh, man. Well, 3% with Ironwood, so I, 
it's not my favorite, but I'm, it's, it's not my uh, dis least favorite here. So, so we have, uh, oh, it's interesting. So, so sugar maple, yellow birch, and hemlock are kind of statistically even 31, 31, and 28, which, which is uh, pretty cool. Hmm. So there will be no civil war over a favorite species. There are three here. So <laughs> triangulation, you can't be yeah. done one because the other two will get you. Yep. We also asked people to rank the most important challenges facing sustainable management of northern hardwoods. And those answers then fed into some interesting discussion on day two of the roundtable. We actually collected those challenges uh, when they registered for the conference, and then we boiled those down to into a list. Right. So we assembled a panel of six people to talk about these issues that our participants identified. This included three researchers and three managers, and then two people from the Northeastern and Lake States and Southeastern Canada. The six panelists were Forrest Jabot, Gatan Pelche, Nancy Patch, Laura Kenefick, Mike Walters, and Fed Frederic Doyan. But let's listen to the panelists introduce themselves. So we have six panelists, three are researchers, three are from management, who are from the Lake States, who are from the Northeast, two from Canada. So I'm gonna let them each introduce themselves, starting off with Forrest. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm a forest consultant. I work for Stegawalt Land Services. I'm headquartered in Tomahawk, Wisconsin. I work um, across the east. Um, my focus is in um, forest inventory, due diligence, um, growth and yield, harvest scheduling and research efforts for the timber timber products industry as well as forest landowners. Great, welcome, Mike. Hi, I'm Mike Walters. I'm from Michigan State University. That's basically right there in Michigan. Uh, I work a lot with, uh, I, I teach silviculture and applied forest ecology at MSU. I do a lot of research on Northern hardwood systems and other forest systems, mostly in Michigan because I do most of my work with the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. So that doesn't get me beyond the state boundaries that much. Great. Welcome, Mike. Nancy. Thank you. Hi. I'm uh, here in the Northeast in Vermont. Uh, I'm, I work with the Vermont Department of Forest Parks and Recreation as a county forester or service forester. So I'm sort of representing the practitioner uh, side of the equation here. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Welcome. All right, Laura. I am Laura Kenefick. I am a research forester with the U.S. Forest Service located in Maine, and I'm a silviculturist. I work in northern hardwood and northern conifer silviculture on experimental forests and elsewhere. Gaetan. Oh, good afternoon. I'm Gaetan Pelche. Uh, I'm executive director of the Northern Hardwoods Research Institute in Edmonston, New Brunswick. Uh, but today I carry the voice of a practitioner and a manager because I spent 28 years working for large industry. And that is what I want to offer as far as insight today. Welcome. And Frederic. Hello, my name is Frédéric Doyon. I'm a professor at the Université du Québec en Outaouais. So my, my topic of research is uh, landscape ecology, forest management, and silviculture of northern hardwood forest. Uh, and I'll say that in the last more than decades, I've been working on the development of adaptation strategies for uh, 
uh, either at the landscape level and also at the STEM level for managing the forest in Quebec. So we asked the panel two central questions. What do we need to know through research? And what do we need to do through management to address these top challenges that were identified by the participants of this conference? Let's take a listen to the top challenges as identified by the conference participants. And we thought a good way to get this conversation started um, is to share uh, the challenges that we identified. Uh, and you, when you registered, identified a whole host of challenges. And we reduced those into 20 different buckets or challenges. And you'll see on that slide there. And then, as you recall yesterday, uh, you as a conference voted what you thought were the top three challenges. And I just like to share with you the results of that. So the first um, number one challenge, and this was at 14% of the conference was our old nemesis deer browse or herbivory. So for those of us have moose and deer, the second most was this bucket or category of pest pathogens and forest health. Um, and that category there contains lots of different things from emerald ash borer to maple decline. Um, and, and so lots of things could be in that category. Um, and that was at 13% of the conference. Um, the third most, which I knew it would be up there, but I was surprised it was third, but it's lack of markets for pulp and low quality material. And I'm gonna extend this a little bit to the fourth choice. Um, and that was because I think these buckets are a little interrelated and that is interfering vegetation, invasive plants, um, but it also goes hand in hand with inadequate regeneration. So really, if you added those two together, uh, you would have had 23% um, of, of the polling within those categories. So we're going to, as Crystal said, focus on those, those top challenges, uh, but our guests can kind of relate what their experience is, what they think is most important in terms of what do we need to know through research and what do we need to do through management um, to try to address or begin to address these challenges. Interestingly, our panelists didn't always stick to the main two questions or even the list of challenges, but their insights have a lot to say about silviculture in general and not just in Northern hardwoods. Yeah, so so I think kind of the, uh, the benefit of having the, the brain trust that we have here is that we get to pick your brain, right? And so we saw the, re the response of the people who have attended and what they identified as, as some of the issues that are the challenges, I think, that we have. And so what we'd like to do is kind of have you reflect a little bit on maybe these challenges, maybe what we need to do to, to address these, either through management or research, and see which one uh, jumps out at you. So we don't really have an organized way of picking people, but let's start in Canada and kind of work our way down <laughs> and take a look at you know, how do these, how do these things work? So Frederic, is there, for the challenges that were uh, just presented, is there one that jumps out to you and maybe something that we should be doing about it or what we, what we might need to think about for management or research? No, the, what is interesting is, and uh, there's many paper that are now going out, is we're trying to make novel ecosystem by bringing species and making new assemblages. And in regards of 
traits to the species in regards of our de- understanding of the silvics. But by making those new assemblages, it's, it, we forget to understand that it's a landscape, it's a working landscape that is more complex, that have creators like these guys that can do a lot of different things. So it is very important for me that we develop a strategy of diversifying the portfolio of silviculture and, and, and to disregard any recipe approach that we have been very good in, in doing in the past. And instead of that, we, we need to just spread out in different ways of tackling those issues and developing a, a better way also to monitor what we're doing. That's, that's the only way that we can learn. We're into an adaptive management, a forced adaptive management experiment right here. The way that Carl Walters have developed in the early 80s, talking about active adaptive management, it's, it's forcing understanding how the information can be learned quickly because the things are changing quickly. And that's, that, that is my point, I, I will say. For example, most of the civil culture science have been developed on empirical evidences. And a lot of those evidences now are on a, a moving sense, on very uh, unstable rationals uh, based on just the empirical evidences. I'm thinking of some talks I was talking about gathering the data from the past and and projecting what will be in the future. I think now we'll get into a a, a much more uh, detailed understanding on the process, even at the organ level, which we were not good to do in the past as civil culture. We were taking data at the tree level and now to understand the thing really and how, how the organism will be reacting to those change we have now to get much more at the finer scale of the organization of the biological systems in order to be able to adjust our uh, prescriptions and our way of manipulating vegetation to to reach targets, the goal, and the ecological services that we want. Well, thank you. Uh, Eitan, how about you? Well, it's funny, as I listened to, to Frederic, I kept mental notes and I said, I'm going to disagree with that and I'll agree with that. And then you, 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 you throw in, you throw in adaptive management and then that's what I was going to talk about. So I, I want to echo that and rather than talk about or talk from a perspective of a researcher, what to do and a manager, what to do. I, I really want to preach uh, implementing adaptive management in, in a big way, like uh, a la Buzz Hollings and, and Kylie and Gordon Baskerville and, and, uh, uh, work together and, and and do the plan, do check, act, and then and then improve. And it's it's as simple as that, as that, but it is as complicated as that. And um, although we've been talking about it for decades, uh, we're still not good at it. Uh, at the end of the day, scientists may think uh, practitioners don't have time to commit, and and we can't articulate uh, uh, the, the the problem that we have. And then practitioners might say, well, you know, scientists 
they don't know the real world and they work in a in a in a bubble and of course neither one is right um, but to find a way find a way to 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 evolve work work together and 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 really set up those hypotheses and test them and then and then improve is is the key and it's not it's not easy to do that's what uh, that's what we've been trying to do for 10 years and and uh, there's there's daily daily struggles and but yeah so adaptive management all all the way and and i would still disagree with frederick a little bit and sometimes if prescriptions are formulated in a context of adaptive management and we make a hypothesis um to 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 measure their their impacts is is probably very important as well and my final final thoughts is um, if any of you have a chance to read uh, Gordon Baskerville's paper of 1994 in the um, Forestry Chronicles uh, entitled um, uh, Deaf Poetry, uh, Gaelic Poetry for Deaf Seagulls. It's a really powerful paper that explains that dichotomy between science and practitioners and, and uh, we still haven't resolved it. So I'm going to I'm going to shut up now. Well, along that line, let's let's kind of skip out of order. We started in Canada, but let, maybe let's skip back to the Lake States because, Mike, that sounds a lot like what you guys have been really working on. You know, you got the – and we, we talked about that earlier. You got a, um, a highlight with uh, Susan, and you guys did a great job of presenting a lot of the work you've been doing with that uh, science and management partnership in Michigan. Yeah, uh, thank you. I, I, yeah, I'm going to um, – with with that prompt, uh, I, I'm going to – sort of further articulate what my colleagues have said too, uh, but referencing what you just brought up, Brad. Um, when I look at the list of things that were prioritized by attendees, what struck me is that, uh, and you touched on this, Greg, is that to me, they all center around uh, sustainability forest management and forest uh, sustainability forest management depends on regeneration and several of the items that people were most interested in are simply disturbances that affect patterns of regeneration and ultimately sustainability. Climate change is a disturbance, invasive pests and pathogens, um, deer, uh, browsing, pressure, all those things are disturbances to me. And what, what it boils down to me, uh, how this boils down to me is that it really, I'd like, I'd like the whole thing to get more simple rather than more complex. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is that there are some real forest management problems with sustainability in northern hardwood resources. All those things I just mentioned are challenges to sustainability. And that what we really need is simply the ability to better predict regeneration of desirable species based on manipulations, changing manipulations in order, uh, you know, manipulating forest dynamics in order to get desired results. And uh, so I, I see it as kind of a, almost kind of a simple, uh, or a, a simple in theory, at least, and <laughs> always, always uh, uh, incredibly challenging in terms of coming up with good predictive models of forest dynamics that enforce regeneration, that's, that's for certain. Um, but to me, the biggest stumbling, stumbling block to uh, making progress in that regard is not that there la there's lacking of good scientists out there to tackle that, or certainly not lack of management awareness of problems. Uh, again, it becomes this problem in which I think uh, the, the problems with progress are institutional rather than 
tool or uh, driven by by disciplinary limitations and that those greatest sort of contributions or advances in forest management informed by research will be made by real tight partnerships between managers and researchers and research designed not for an audience of other scientists but research designed to be used right away too and then used as a springboard for adaptive management for further refinement or change by that management research uh, partnership. I'm interested, uh, Forrest, what's your take on the, the issues that we, we saw presented here or the, or the top challenges and some of the things we need to work on? Well, I'm really excited about the conversation here about adaptive management, um, but I'm going to kind of flip things here, start on the management side with regards to trends and decision-making and how that, re- that should be related back to the research world. Um, the fact is, is that a lot of the science that we rely on was based on economics and uh, markets of the past, and they're, they're completely different now. And we have new and emerging markets, um, namely um, forest carbon and, ca- and carbon credits that, of course, are great tools in places where markets are limited, long haul distances. And um, the fact is, is that there is a uh, significant amount of acreage being enrolled in forest carbon and, and th- throughout the range of the uh, northern hardwood um, forest. And what's really interesting is that um, it's, you know, it's likely to incentivize carrying higher stock. And that's just a fact of what's going to be in the landscape, both on private and public lands moving forward. So I'm really interested in finding, you know, research that's going to look to understand that in the context of just the fact is that we're going to try to uh, meet objectives uh, in a forest that's changing with climate change. And then understand that managers and practitioners are going to have outside pressures that they've never had before. And they don't even know how they're going to manage these Northern Harvard forests five years, 10 years from now after enrolling in the forest carbon. This is an experiment. And it's an experiment that we really need to think about and take seriously because it will impact and put pressures that have been on the industry, the market, and getting groundwood to the to to mill that we've never seen before in past history. No, that's really interesting, Forrest, because I, you can think of the 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 hard place that foresters are going to be put in. They might have to ask for higher stocking, but still find regenerate find the ability to regenerate these sites, which isn't necessarily intuitive in how you would do that. Right. So that's really interesting. Nancy, what's your take on this, on just the problems that you've seen or the responses here? Yeah, no, this has been a great conversation so far. What I really um, find valuable is this collaboration between researchers and practitioners. And I I think we've been doing better at that um, specifically over the past few years. And and just as Flores just said, our our markets consistently change. Um, They are not the markets of, of yesterday. Things are moving forward, and but much of this uh, is going to be based in a greater world beyond us. You know, we're collaborating really well between scientists and practitioners, but there is a greater social world beyond us, and we need that social acceptance potential is really going to drive what we do and what we can do. Uh, some of the markets that exist out there are going to be based on carbon sequestration and, and storage. Can that be? cross-laminated timber. Some of the work that NEP is doing and Woodworks is doing in the Northeast is fantastic. 
but we need to reach out to people beyond us and tell our stories better. We say that all the time, but I think one of the things we need to do with that is to bring these other partners in to um, to help us with our with the stories we tell because somehow we haven't been able to do it very well. I'm I'm really you know struck all the time uh, in my role as a county forester. I review plans and, and and for forest management, and I I think what I love I love what I've I've heard today in this conference about the nuances that are that we should be looking at um, before before we write our prescriptions. And I don't think practitioners get stuck in ruts sometimes. You know, we, we do the same thing over and over again. We need to, this kind of conference can bring those ideas back on the table so that we can look at things. One of the things that I keep talking about is I've, I've been loving reading for years now, the work of Susan Simard in the Northwest, how we're talking about the mycorrhizae network and, and the um, effect it has on our landscape. We don't have any research done in the Midwest or the Northeast on those in, around mycorrhizae networks, but in old forests, untouched forests, managed forests, former agricultural landscapes. I'd love to see that. I know that we talked about forests, uh, like about legacy retention. Legacy retention as a means for promoting uh, regeneration. Um, just observationally, I can see next to these old declining trees. We used to think it was about light manipulation. Maybe it's not. Maybe maybe it's more about mycorrhizae network distribution. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of research that I think we should replicate that has been done elsewhere. Uh, and I really like the idea of this uh, closer collaboration that Mike was talking about, where we, we actually have more of these smaller workshops. Um, we recently, the Department of Forest and Parks has recently worked with uh, research, uh, Tony D'Amato at UVM to, to talk about ecological forestry and some of the old growth management that we want to um, promote. I mean, there's, there's so many things to talk about in a very short period of time, but I guess my bottom line is that let's, let's look at, let's keep our minds open, think more on the nuance, and I really got that out of this conference from the, from the science community or really looking at what we thought worked, really maybe doesn't work because we haven't looked carefully enough. So I guess I can stop there as there are other people here to see. Yeah, no, it, and it's funny, Nancy, I can remember as a young forester working in oak stands and then looking across the border to other counties where they had Northern hardwood stands and thinking, man, we had the hard work in oak because it's so easy in Northern hardwood. All you have to do is cut it and it comes right back. But I guess that's not the not the story. That's true. So, occasionally, <laughs> no, occasionally, occasionally. So, uh, Laura, what's you? We interested for your feedback on this? Yeah, I have the enviable either best or worst situation of going last week. So, so many great ideas have already been shared, and I guess the one thing that um, occurs to me is that I see so often that we, and I include myself in this, are surprised by our failures, where we have an expectation that something that we do is going to be successful based on past experience or what we've learned. And then when we implement it, it doesn't turn out the way that we thought that it was going to turn out. And I think in many cases, and this sort of gets at um, what Nancy was just mentioning, that there are so many connections and so many nuances in the systems that we are managing that we don't always remember to consider all the factors and I'm thinking of some presentations that we heard about 
where there was um, too much interfering vegetation or not enough regeneration or recruitment failure. And maybe it wasn't just site, maybe it was site and browsing, or maybe it was something to do with overstory structure. And I think that very often in forestry, we tend to get sucked into this emphasis on the overstory and the overstory production and harvesting. And I think that being a bit more ecological in our perspective and working on our connections with others in our field, both as researchers and practitioners. So we heard this before, connecting with wildlife biologists and connecting with plant ecologists. I think that working on more of that, both as researchers and practitioners, can put us in a better position to understand the connections in the forest. And the more that we can become aware of them, the more that we can educate ourselves on what to look for in advance of a treatment to help us understand what will happen and ensure the outcome that we want. And, I, and that's interesting. So having that complete assessment going into the decision-making process uh, makes sense. So besides working with, and I'm just asking, just it seems kind of interesting. So besides working with like other professionals, are there things that foresters should be doing in the field or, or things that you might think would be useful to kind of to bring that to fruition? Well, speaking for myself in systems where we often are so reliant on advanced regeneration, I think, you know, one of the presentations I heard today talked about is not just the presence with the size of the advanced regeneration. Like I think just looking more closely at what we do and considering that, okay, this didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to. Why did that happen? So often we, we kind of try to walk away from our failures but going back and looking closely at them and saying what was going on here that I can learn from and move forward. When I think of all the field tours I've been on, we're so often shown what to do. And it's rarely that we're taken to a place where something was a complete failure and given the opportunity to parse that. And I think that all of us. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it looks like we've got a couple questions that came in and maybe we can just throw those out or throw a couple of them out here and, 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 uh, Maybe they'll be bomb, you know, we'll throw out the bomb and, and see who gets a hit. So uh, Linda Parker writes in that we ranked deer, herbivory, and browse as our number one challenge. And for all the economic, recreational, ecological, and cultural importance of forests, it's sort of amazing that we have little influence in the sociopolitical process in setting deer population levels. We, we react to the problem, uh, but what can we do as a community to be more proactive and influential in this area? Uh, yeah, I guess I can, you know, respond to that a little bit. Um, some of the things that we're we're doing is connecting landowners to to hunters and uh, making sure that hunting is uh, accepted by people that don't necessarily have a background in it. It to do with again, it's that social acceptance, and uh, but then also working with the hunting community to understand what's happening. And I, and I think that's that's certainly changing. At least in Vermont, we we have a, a much greater acceptance of uh, what the deer population is doing by hunters. Uh, but but it really, again, it's what I said earlier, it's, it's reaching beyond our own community and it's reaching out to other partners and having greater discussions in the public. I would concur with that. And I would also point to some wonderful examples of that sort of work that's been done by Susan, the Forest Service and her colleagues in helping 
people who are interested in deer and in, in hunting deer understand the negative implications for the deer themselves of um, very high populations to try to find other motivations to engage people in deer management other than failure of regeneration, which generally isn't apparent to the general public. That's good. Uh, we have a question here from uh, uh, Julia Burton. Uh, what about cooperation between wildlife and forest managers and researchers? How frequently do they cooperate, uh, e.g. controlling deer locally while an area is regenerating? Anyone have experience with that? Uh, yep, Mike. We certainly in our northern uh, hardwoods project, uh, we ex explicitly have involved both wildlife and forest management divisions of DNR and wildlife and forestry researchers. Now, to me, it's sort of like this baby steps sort of thing to actually have these divisions working together on a problem and forestry and wildlife managers who have very different um, views of the forest and what it's for is a great first step. Now in Michigan, which is a really big hunting state and really kind of drives the political landscape with regard to forest use in lots of ways, uh, having decreasing deer populations in some regions to get tree regeneration is simply untenable politically. And so for us, simply identifying that it's a problem that requires both wildlife and forestry expertise is a good start. Yep. And I believe Laura and um, Crystal, I think Alex Royo has been doing some work looking at how you can actually design harvesting with an area, not necessarily controlling the population, but controlling what you control, like the, say the arrangement of harvests or things like that might be a, a way for the future too with some of that. So uh, next question we had here is, or actually just a, 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 a shout out here, uh, Eli, uh, a great point, Laura, about learning from treatments perceived as failures. Uh, we've been encouraging practitioners to share those as case studies as well as successes on platforms like the Great Lakes Silviculture Library. And there's a lot to learn and a lot to uh, do. So, I, and I encourage everyone to go out and take a look at that because that's a really useful resource for stuff like that. Micah Ruber, uh, writes in, thanks for mentioning mycorrhizal networks as something to perhaps look at in regeneration. Uh, we need that. We need it in the context of changing climate, incoming earthworms, other known variables we're dealing with. So sounds like a, a fruitful area. Hey, Brad, I'll expand that question for the group here. Sure. And because um, I kind of see that um, related to this list of challenges, if if you could learn the answer to one question or investigate one problem that might be on this list or related to this list, what would that be? And I know, Nancy, you already mentioned those mycorrhizal networks. Um, so just uh, just curious from the group, it, you know, what is a knowledge gap that you wish you knew more about? Speaking for myself, I'll say the one that sounds like the most fun to investigate is the inadequate regeneration and recruitment question. But the one that I think we actually need the answer to probably the most from my perspective is the lack of markets for small trees and poor quality trees. Because until we can sell the wood we harvest, we'll have a hard time doing the silviculture we want. Could, could I just pop in with that one too? Is it, you know, when we talk about carbon markets um, and, and leaving wood behind and, uh, you know, granted small small wood is uh, not going to last as long, but 
As Bob Summer once said to me, every single spruce seedling you ever saw was connected to a piece of old wood. So what can we do to make it more um, economical to leave that wood cut and leave or that wood in the woods? And I know right now everybody tells me that that's impossible, but, you know, things are never impossible. I would add that I think the the new and emerging markets and, and, and the climate market itself isn't shouldn't be seen as it's one or the other. It's an, it's a revenue source for landowners to keep forest forests. And as those markets develop and there's there's other markets, say, you know, forest water credits, um, there will be funding available at the landowner level to do silviculture, cut those small trees. If the, if there's no market, leave them behind. If there's markets, obviously take advantage of the markets. But I think developing and the importance of ecosystem service markets continuing to be strong only helps build the toolbox for silviculture. Yeah, I will agree with Forrest in that sense. Uh, as we look at in the past, how much the product and services that have been uh, monetized have been diversified in the last century, you can see that it's exploding exploding exponentially now with the non-timber forest products and the ecological services and the payment for services. And I think it's just starting. Uh, so the idea that we have to find market for pool might not be as critical as it is right now in the future. At least that's what I think and I hope because uh, it means that Civil culture also for ecological services might become like a new, a new realm of exploration and developing how we can optimize those services is something that we need to develop as civil culture. We, we, we're good in making wood. Good as we can see during that conference, at some point we have not too much good result, but Thinking of other ecological services, and and we see like like forests that are close to large cities, those those services are much more valuable than the wood that is standing on there. So, if we develop that kind of subculture and make sure that we 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 know how to combine these different services at the same time and develop the 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 the, the, the good techniques to maintain those services in long term. We're doing a good job. Thank you. Those were great responses. Uh, I know, Gatan, you have a lot of projects going on with the Institute. What's the one thing you're really interested in investigating? Well, the, the, the biggest gap, uh, and I've talked to Laura about this, is uh, is the next cohort, but the next cohort of practitioners, not the next cohort of trees. And I'm <laughs> I'm really worried about who's gonna who's gonna do the work. Who will? How will they get the skill set? Uh, they don't get it in training. Uh, there's very very few mentors mentors left out there. So I I, I see this as a big serious gap in, in how we manage our forest better based on a body of knowledge that's out there. And that's where Laura and I kind of disagree somewhat. I'm a builder of tools and solutions and technology and prescriptions. and, and uh, but, but just because there's a gap and we think if, if some tools are there to help them out, maybe it's going to get the ball rolling and get the young folks interested and, and talking the language. So, so yeah, my biggest gap is, uh, is who's going to 
who's going to take my place because I'm at end of career here. So, okay, uh, maybe just looking to the future. Um, where did climate change land in this whole thing, and and how did, is that something we really need to? I don't know. Just open that up as a as, as a larger question. It seems like a lot of this also comes back to insecurity about future planning, just because the past performance doesn't necessarily dictate the future. So, Greg, where did it? Where did climate? So, climate change wasn't one of our top four. How far? How well, far down on the list was it? It was it was right behind the um, inadequate regeneration. So it was somewhere around fifth, I think. Um, it actually came in third when you looked at the registrants' initial answers. Um, it was a very common response. So why it came in fifth now, I'm not sure, but it's right up at the top. Well, and I I don't know if if anybody has anything else to add to that, but but i just want to say thank you cuz i think i learned a, i learned a lot from your responses and and hopefully everybody pulls both from the conference and from this every home with something they can use that music can only mean it's time for the dropbox the dropbox is a regular segment where we take your comments questions tips concerns you name it and share them with our listeners Brad, that was a great episode. I think we're going to be swamped with questions. Yeah, I like how you put the pun in there. Someplace Paul DeLong is smiling. <laughs> well, I would have thought we would have been bogged down as well. That's my attempt. That, that's the best I got. But this month, the, the Dropbox is drier than a scrub oak in August. <laughs> so, hey, we need questions. Keep them coming. It doesn't matter. There are no bad questions. So. Let us have them. In any event, thanks for listening to today's episode of Silvacast. If you like Silvacast, please remember to follow or subscribe. You can find Silvacast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. If you have ideas for future episodes or a question for the Dropbox, please let us know. You can reach us at UW Stevens Point's Wisconsin Forestry Center by emailing WFC at uwsp.edu. Feel free to include a sound file of your question or comment if you want. We learn best when we wrestle with questions, so keep them coming. All right, so as they say on the radio, we're back. Uh, Crystal, I'm curious. Uh, I know that both you and I were focused a lot on logistics during the conference and maybe didn't have a chance to really listen to all of the presentations. Um, But from what you learned, is there an idea or thought that you took away from the Northern Hardwood Conference? Yeah, well, Greg, it's been 30 years since we've had a Northern Hardwood Conference. And in fact, we weren't even sure if there's been a range-wide conference at all before. So bringing everybody together, I know we were excited and I just received so many positive comments. Everyone was so eager to participate, share knowledge and work together on these challenges. So what my take home is, is bridging research and management. That was the theme of our conference and we epitomize that message. Brad, what do you think? So, you know, very similar to that. I was really impressed with the kind of the uh, examples that we saw of the research management collaborative kind of Michigan State's effort on that. And I thought Susan Stout did a really nice job kind of elaborating that in the uh, in the talk that she did in one of the, the lead-offs to the conference. So hopefully that makes everybody jealous and really go home and try and figure out how they can bring that back and make that work where they are. 
And as long as I've got you guys, uh, you guys did a fantastic job as co-chairs of this. So congratulations. This really worked well. Thank you. Well, I'm glad that, uh, that it came off successfully. I would say what I took away from it was very similar to what you both did in a sense that I always looked at the Central Hardwood Conference a little jealously because they had this regular conference and they talked between professionals and universities. And as you said, Crystal, we haven't had a conference in 30 years. I don't think we've ever had a range-wide conference. And so finally, we're talking with each other across the whole range. So we're talking to practitioners and researchers in Canada and the New England states and the Lake states. And already, um, I know I have contacts in those areas that I didn't have before, and we're going to be exchanging ideas. So I think that's really cool. And as a reminder, the next Northern Hardwood Conference is scheduled for August 16th through the 18th, 2022. That's 2022 next year in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. So I hope to be there and I hope you guys are too. Brad, are we going to get to go? We are going to get to go if we want to go. Even if it's in our minds alone, Greg, we're going to be there. <laughs> oh, that's back to the sponsor. Oh, I get it. Nope. <laughs> um, well, I hope so. And also, Crystal, it's been great having you as a host. You know, when Brad is gone sometime, sick, you never know what will happen to him. Uh, you can step in. That sounds great. I'll be a substitute host. Thanks so much for yeah. having me today. <laughs> I, I like the way you guys are planning for my absences already. <laughs> this is, I don't know about this. You'll never know <laughs> what hits you, Brad. That's right. <laughs> Okay, Brad, that's a wrap. And take care, everyone. And as always, thanks to our team. Haley Freider, our editor-in-chief. Noah LeMade, our IT master. Theme music by Paul Freider. And of course, thank you to UW-Stevens Point's Wisconsin Forestry Center. Music